Creatives are emerging from Africa, embracing their true identity and giving a voice to the otherwise marginalized, reshaping their narrative and chanting a new course for others to follow. We sit down with these creatives and discover who they are, what's driving them to create, and how it's making a change. This is The Creative Huddle. Eugene Ramirez Mabonere is a digital artist and mentor, game developer, co-founder of Comexposed, and creative director of K-Media Africa. Join me today as I talk to him about their passion for growing the digital arts community and how they're keeping afloat in this pandemic. This is probably the first time we've had a conversation like this since we met. And that was like, um, like remember the, the old Comexposed days? That was nearly six years ago, mind. Yeah, just used to rock up to your office, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. Chill with, you know, get the recording You're just there playing your games, not even working. No, that was even before the games, man. I think I didn't even have a laptop in the part. I think my, I had just been robbed. Someone stole my laptop. So I was using oh, Tino's shit. old Celeron. And we're trying to set yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to set up Comexposed, trying to get all the recordings and, and material for YouTube going. And then yeah. uh, you'd come and you'd record an episode. And then we'd collect yeah. all the media. And then like two days later, maybe three would come over to your office and then meet by the cafe. And then we'd talk about, <laughs> about what's done, what's been edited. And uh, then, you know, yeah. like, that was like the routine almost every week. The games, the games actually came in 2016. Uh, that's when we got like some decent computers because we had those Macs yeah. and those screens. Yeah. And then we'd be playing League of Legends for hours. <laughs> ah, yeah, dude. But I still, I used to jamming that crazy these days. Uh, not as much, but actually, we we play at least every other evening. Like, Tino and I get together with some other guys right. now. The community is a lot bigger now. So we, we play we play at least every evening for like three hours. And then 14-year-old okay. kids from Europe beat us, and then we get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to sleep thinking of how we can do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how's how's your game right now? Uh, I'm, I'm like the one we're developing, or my uh, or how well am I playing right how, now? How would you play? I'm really good. I think I'm really good. <laughs> I like that. I am really good. I'm really good. But there's a, there's a there's a caveat to that. I'm good by Zimbabwean standards. Oh. For okay. for a thirty something year old dude playing in Zimbabwe, I'm great. Yeah. On an international level, I'm trash. <laughs> really, man, you got. I mean, the way gaming has gone right now, you've got 16-year-old kids winning $3 million um, prize pools for playing Fortnite. And, you know, they'll be playing uh, against like 100 other people. So you can wow. tell the level of skill, talent, and just com competition and what's at stake is so high compared to why he and Zim would play. And um, right. though some of the most disappointing news I learned is that as you grow older, your dexterity and your motor skills, they deteriorate. So your reflexes aren't oh. as good. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I follow I follow like esports a lot, and um, I was right. really disappointed to learn that the typical age of retirement for a professional esports player, like a salaried person, these guys earn as much as NFL and NBA players, eh? Their typical age for sure. retirement is around twenty six. Twenty six. Twenty six. That's when they say, you know what, you 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 ain't got it anymore. Wow. Yeah, and then the career wow, spans super. from sixteen years old to sometimes. 17 because i think they let you play from legally from around 17 or 18 up until yeah. you're like yeah so if you're 29 and you're an esports player professionally you're probably looking to get retired or your contract is really short so yeah so that's why i say by zimbabwean standards i'm great i'm amazing but world standards hey yeah so where we at in zimbabwe like in terms of um well Everything, it's, it's a lot more like our industry, like, you know, animation and, um, you know, multimedia, very grassroots. There are some upcoming organizations like Esports Zimbabwe and others that are trying to formalize things and get Zimbabwe um, involved in, you know, uh, tournaments and competitions in places like Kenya or South Africa. Do you actually compete with other countries? Yeah. Really? In in a few games, they're very niche. Well, the more popular ones, I have to be honest, like your FIFAs, your Mortal Kombat, you know, the stuff that doesn't have a high barrier to entry. Yeah. So uh, over the past two years, I've seen a lot of um, participation by Zimbabweans in in tournaments and uh, other events held in, in mostly Kenya and uh, South Africa. 
and of course, because a lot of games are online now, some guys can compete while they're here without having to travel, which is great. So, yeah, and then of course, um, some some local companies have tried to get in on the action by trying to create uh, gaming related services like uh, ISPs and mobile networks and stuff. But that really hasn't taken root because, to be honest, they don't know much about video games. They don't know much about the yeah, culture. Sure. Yeah, they yeah. don't know much about the culture, and they don't know how to commercialize it or how to get value out of it for everyone. So, okay. yeah, I think. Yeah, we're at that point where a lot of the um, more mature or established business people need to humble themselves and and actually just sit down with young people and get some proper consultation. Like, what? where is this going, uh, this whole... Yeah. Whether it's the phenomena of um, independently produced animation, uh, independently produced content for social media by influencers, or even the culture of gaming in itself and how it's monetized because uh, I'll give you this example you, if you look at um, you take uh, Jason Derulo as an example for an artist everyone knows him popularly as a musician right but um, it goes without saying that he makes a lot of revenue from his YouTube alone right Right. and then he also makes money as an influencer so he's paid to put products uh, in his Instagram and his TikTok etc so there's right. a whole ecosystem surrounding the personality Jason Derulo, right? But yeah. it's that's one way of looking at it because we all understand music and we all understand celebrities and famous people from the perspective of, you know, the music industry. But then it also translates into, like, what where we started off with gaming. Uh, you can have a young person, like, there's this young man named uh, uh, Peter Pang, right? He's uh, commonly known by his gaming name, Doublelift. And okay. he's he's worth over a million. And, uh, well, actually, he's worth over 10 million. Like, that's his personal net net worth, right? But apart from playing games for a living, he's got endorsements from computer companies, um, companies that make peripherals for computers and gaming. He's got um, endorsements from companies like Red Bull, Monster. You see, that kind of thing. So, again, it means, uh, apart from playing the game for a living, in his downtime when he's streaming... His stream is branded. When right. he goes on Twitter, he has to speak a certain way and bring up certain things because he's paid to. And yeah. coming back to Zimbabwe and Africa now, I don't think that the people who run um, organizations, whether they're in marketing or entertainment, I don't think they understand how the, that kind of thing translates into uh, these emerging uh, industries like esports and gaming and animation and so on. Uh, because there's so much value in in the other areas outside of just being a practitioner or just being a player. You get what cool. I mean? So, yeah. so I think that's what's stopping Zim right now. So as much as you have these uh, organizations like the ones I mentioned and then, of course, the ISPs and mobile networks trying to get into it, they, I, I think the approach that they're using is a little bit flawed because they think if they provide the platform, the, the arena and, um, like, uh, you know the branding, then everything else will fall in place, and then lots of money will just somehow materialize. But that's completely incorrect. There's so much uh, about you know raising the community, a bit like what we did with Com Exposed. It was yeah. very, it was very community based uh, yeah. because we spent years uh, yeah. back in 2012. As much as we started, cre- uh, you know, recording the show in 2015, and as much as we had our first event in 2015, between 2012 and that time we were actively building a community very organically to make matters worse. And it was a very slow and laborious process. Uh, Now now we boast of a community that's, you know, got over 300 people uh, in Zimbabwe alone. And then we've got other people participating from across Africa. Um, But that that in itself was out of respect of uh, the culture itself and and understanding that uh, the culture needs to be, it needs to be given its due respect. The people who, who participate in whether it's comic books or animation, visual effects, multimedia, they, there's a there's a culture and a, and a bit of a fraternity or a sorority around it. Um, right. And when you show that community that you respect what they do and that you're taking it seriously, they'll give you value in exchange. And, and I think um, since we took the time to do that, it, it didn't come as a surprise later on in 2018, for example, 
when some of these ISPs and mobile networks started approaching us and they're saying, you seem to have gotten it right. Can you now help us uh, set up our gaming or, you know, pop culture related events or, or uh, you know, programs? And um, I guess it, no one wants to roll up their sleeves and do that dirty work. <laughs> Doing stuff organically. Uh, uh, it's a shame um, how, um, you know, just social media and the internet and the like have given everyone this impression that uh, success is like an overnight thing where you yeah. just wake up and you've decided I want to be an animator, therefore I'm going to <laughs> make animated films. You know, it's, it's, it's a long process, just like for doctors, you know, they spend seven years or more studying uh, medicine and then they go out there and they, they're practitioners. So, you know, uh, with the internet, everything somehow is it's seen by most people uh, as though it's like instant. It's like just an instant, wow, you just woke up and you could draw. You just woke up and you could play video games really well and just show people that you can, you know, outplay three other people online. And, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, there the, are those interesting misconceptions and a, a lack of understanding of how the whole ecosystem works to, to bring value for this stuff. Okay, so in terms of gaming, what, what do you think um, is lacking or... Are we just growing into the gaming industry? Is there anything that we can do right now to actually just boost it up a little bit to, so that it grows quicker than it is right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think the, the biggest challenge that we have here in Africa is just simply, uh, I'm not going to call it ignorance, but just not being informed enough. Um, okay. For example, if I was to talk to someone right now about what I do for a living and tell them I'm a professional animator, their first idea or what comes to mind is oh so you make cartoons for children right yeah there's that yeah. lack of understanding that it's it's um it's a trade and a craft that transcends what they do on their phone what they see in the movies what they see in advertising and so on right and then only when we have that uh, conversation when when they get that awareness and they get to understand that uh people actually need this service and they use it and even they consume this service do they start to get a greater appreciation? So to answer your question, coming back to, to gaming, I think the biggest hurdle or the biggest test that needs to be um, addressed first is it's the same kind of thing, an awareness kind of thing to say, look, right. gaming is not just your child playing PlayStation in front of the TV before the news and you have to tell them to shoot, right? That's, right. that's not what it is anymore. It's gone way beyond that because you've got people earning... 500,000 US a year from playing yeah. video games professionally. Right. Uh, and, and, and when you say things like that to the people who are potential investors, that's when they turn and actually pay attention because you're talking about value. You're not talking yeah. about the activity of having fun, right. but you're actually talking about the value proposition that is in this yeah. because ultimately yeah. esports is probably one of the fastest growing modes of advertising that is there right now. And I say that because um, the people playing these games professionally are playing somebody's video game, you know? And by that, I right, mean yeah. it's a specific yeah. developer who sells this video game, and they want as yeah. many eyes as possible on their video right. game. And video yeah. games typically make more money than movies. Like the Is game... It? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, more than five years ago, video games uh, surpassed movies in terms of... Um, yeah. Think about it. Playing other games, so. Yeah, think about it. To to watch a movie today, at most, depending on where you are in the world, the most you'll ever pay is twenty dollars, right? Depending on yeah. where you are in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. To buy a video game, no matter where you are in the world, you can pay as much as sixty. Wow! Right. Just to buy one game. Just to buy a copy of your right. whatever game is coming out. Now, yeah. the 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 movie industry will celebrate when they have um you know like a weekend with a hundred million right? Opening yeah. weekend. The exact same thing can happen with video games. In other words, they can, they can actually say, we're putting out a game in the summer, you can pre-order it now, and they can actually break even before the game hits the market. Right. And then beyond that point, which is where they surpass uh, movies even more, is while you own the game, they'll continue to put in more bits of content called downloadable content into the game, which you can right. access for an extra amount and right. that means the, the revenue cycle is far longer. 
So if you've got a game that's being serviced for four years, you, yeah. you might as well be making a movie every year for those four years. And ultimately, that's why the gaming industry is way bigger. Now, coming back to where we, where we started, um, eSports is a big marketing machine because now it markets the games that are being developed and it markets the services that people who play games are interested in. For example, now you have uh, organizations like Rocket Mortgage, you've got State Farm, and these are insurance and real estate firms in the United States that are now marketing to gamers because they realize that the demographic for gamers is young people who are looking for insurance and looking to someday own a house, right? Yeah. And um, the, the, one of the big eye-openers for me was two years ago when companies like Kia and uh, this uh, Kia, Honda, and BMW became official sponsors for certain game, uh, certain esports, and that's incredible. Uh, that's incredible because yeah. more and more you, you look at um, the marketing potential and the acknowledgement by these big companies of yeah. what the audience for gaming is is actually capable of bringing them in terms of value, in terms of new uh, customers, and so on. So I think. When you have this kind of conversation with local like Zimbabwean or African investors and you tell them about this trend in the West, I think they're more likely to pay more attention. And then probably there'll be that that uh, growth that's needed because it's it's now an industry. We got to face it. It's, it's a big industry. And sadly for us, I think because of um, everyone just trying to be uh, weary of risk and stuff like that. I think there is yeah, 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 you know, like, really, am I going to invest in a bunch of guys playing games in jerseys that are branded? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but to the rest of the world, it's... Well, I guess eSports, like almost every other sport in Zim specifically, there isn't that much uh, revenue and a lot of businesses aren't really involved in it because I think we're still trying to focus more on the... Um, the actual work, the actual business. And so we haven't really gone into the, into the space of funding, into the space of sponsorship, in the space of, you know, partnering with other industries, which are not necessarily what we do. So I yeah. guess we're still kind of growing in that level. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's going to be a little bit harder and it's going to take a bit longer. Uh, but the, the thing that I like about eSport is you can go beyond your country and your continent. Yeah. So yeah. How, how do we get to the level where we are, uh, competing with other people who are outside of Zimbabwe or even outside of Africa. How do we get to that level and also get um, to a place where we're competing at that level and then also getting paid at a closer level to them? Well, um, to begin with, I think a young... I, I think it comes back to that whole uh, issue of teaching young people uh, how it goes beyond just being good at playing a game, right? Yeah. Uh, for example, if you've got a great soccer player here in Zim and is very talented. That's, yeah. that's good, but it's, it doesn't mean he's going to be signed to Barcelona, right? Right. There's a lot, there's a whole ecosystem around being a great player, including your coach, yeah. your agent, your manager, yeah. etc., your lawyer even, and so on. So yeah. bringing it back to uh, how we can have talented um, players going beyond Zimbabwe, um, I think the, the players themselves need to be taught about the the power and the value of social media. You got to have an audience, so you got to, right. you need to show it off to the world that you're good. And yeah. beyond being a great player nowadays, just like with um, um, with with soccer players, uh, I'm forgetting the name of one of my favorite soccer players. I'm not a soccer fan, but his name is Latan. His <laughs> name is player. yeah, yeah. His name is Latan. Latan is it Ibrahimovic? Oh, Latan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a very charismatic guy. And I think he, he understood that outside of being talented, you need to have a bit of charisma. That way you draw people in. Yes. And sadly for esports players and gamers in general, they're, they're socially awkward. <laughs> so <laughs> there has to be a balance of understanding um, your finances, understanding your brand as an individual, uh, understanding communication. And, 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 and when, when it goes from that, and then you can actually... Uh, position yourself as someone who can be marketable to brands because ultimately yeah. brands want to entrust personalities that have reach and that have charisma and that have a lot of integrity. I mean, nowadays a lot of what you do in your private life matters yeah. to brands. Yeah, you that's know? true. So I think uh, for us to get there, 
and for for the for the guys who are trying to get into it professionally, they need to understand that whole um, you know system. It's a whole dynamic. It's it's related to so many things, and of course there has to be a consistency to it because you yeah can't, yeah you can't be doing it passionately and you know tweeting sixty times a day and then the following <laughs> week you're off the radar completely and you're talking about you know eating chocolate donuts or whatever. Yeah right. <laughs> so. Right on. So I think that's that's what's needed, and um, I think someone, much like what Comic Spills did, someone needs to make the sacrifice and set out, set aside time to actually uh, just push for for quite a while, just push and put out the right information that gets young people more aware of the whole process end to end. Not just playing the game well, but playing the game, being surrounded by the right people. Having having uh, an understanding of finances, having an understanding of the law, because the contracts that these guys sign are are huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's an esports player. He's a professional League of Legends player named Huni. Uh, he's originally oh, yeah. from South Korea, and now he plays in the United States. He signed one of the most lucrative contracts uh, for two years, which was valued at two million, and he's he's left that contract with his two million, and he hasn't even finished the first year. So for you to get to a point where you can where you can be in such arrangements, yeah. you need your legal stuff to be you know <laughs> it needs to be right. solid. You know you need your accounting to be so, and not yours personally. But I'm just talking about having the right people around you. But to begin with, you need to anticipate that those things will be a factor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So since I think it was 2017, uh, we had this idea to uh, create a game that we could. Uh, develop long term uh, because yeah. today some of the most popular games aren't even for sale. I'll give you the example of Fortnite. Anyone can play Fortnite. Just make an account. You can play it on your phone. You can play it on your PlayStation, your Xbox, or your computer. And uh, the trick with Fortnite is uh, it's free, but um, number one, it's it's got a lot of in in built or. Uh, what they call downloadable content, which we discussed earlier, that you can use to customize your own player character, right? Yeah. And it's got a huge player base. Uh, hundreds of millions played, ev- hundreds of millions of people played every day across the world, right? Mm-hmm. So think of yeah. it as the Facebook of video games. Um, and the thing with Fortnite is it's developed per- per- perpetually with no intention of stopping it. There's no the end for Fortnite. It's more of a service now than just being a video game. So when we set out to making a game that was well before Fortnite was even a thing in 2017, we had an idea to make a game locally that would have that same kind of approach, where it would be played online, where it would uh, continuously evolve, like would continuously add content to it, uh, continuously add customizable you know features that um, the player base can can download. Or, and then, of course, have it built around the community that we that we already have. Uh, that would help us to um, surpass the challenge of having a community for that game. That's the difficult, the most difficult part for any game is uh, yeah. actually attracting its own audience and its own dedicated community. So uh, let me step away from all that boring stuff and just <laughs> talk about the interesting stuff. So, so the game is uh, pretty much. Um, a five-on-five game, which is based online, uh, where um, I don't know if you're familiar with Capture the Flag, which is played like yeah. in camps and stuff. But the idea is you you play something close to Capture the Flag with unique characters that have unique abilities. So each member of your team has got a certain uh, quality, and uh, they're all original characters that we created ourselves. So um, the hope is that the the game will have a roster of over 50 different playable characters and each match between 10 people playing five on five will last anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes. But the idea is you're playing it and it's very uh, African themed and it's very um, it's very close to home in terms of its its color scheme, its thematic, the names of the characters, the languages used and all that. Very Zimbabwean. So the game is actually called Kurwa, the art of combat. Yeah, and uh, a few a few articles have been written about it since, but then we've been very quiet because we're developing it, and uh, yeah, yeah and, and we've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. It's it's incredible how much content you need to create just to make a video game, uh, from yeah. having just 
recording sessions alone uh, for, yeah. for characters, for each character to uh, to have their voiceover artist come in, record their parts, you know, and, and there's so many things you take for granted, but imagine uh, just for a character entering the game, they need to say something unique. When they when they do something cool, they need to say something unique. When they win, they say something unique. When they die, they say something, you know, so all those different things are recorded. And then, of course, there's the content outside <laughs> yeah. the game as well. Uh, for marketing where the same voiceover artists are used. So this is just to give an example of how much work goes into just one aspect before we even talk about like the animations, uh, the coding, the server side stuff, actually making the game run online. It's been it's been a very long uh, but great process in terms of just being a learning process. And um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's something that I'm looking forward to. And I think to answer your question as well, I think it would be great if uh, the gaming community had a chance to show off using a game that's developed locally. I think it would be far easier for attention to come to Africa if the esports uh, industry uh, in Africa was centered around a domestically uh, developed game. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, you know the, the United States, they're they're crushing it, you know, globally yeah. because esports is centered around games that are made in the United States. So. It's easy for them to get that kind of support and to do stuff yeah. that's culturally yeah. relevant to them and so on. Exactly. Yeah. So brands can actually see themselves within the games. Yeah, they exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So I think I think it's a great I think it's a great um step to take because um with the way social media has just indicated that statistics and knowing who's watching, who's listening, what are they interested in, that kind of information, as much as it's also dangerous. You know, Cambridge Analytica, Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> uh, as much as it's dangerous, uh, yeah. it's also quite helpful. And I think Africa needs its own way of curating that kind of information. And that's the kind of information that would be valuable for local um, companies to have, um, especially if it and I think it would be beneficial for the local esports or gaming industry to, to attract value if a company can actually come up or an organization can actually come up and say, look, we developed this game. We've got an active player base of 20,000 every day. Um, they're aged between this much and this much. Can you consider sponsoring this, um, yeah. you know, this kind of thing? I think that way, I think that way it'll be more appealing. And I think it makes sense from a risk kind of perspective, because I was going to comment on something you said earlier, and I was going to say well, some of the reasons why the growth is so slow in Zim. It's because in Zim, uh, in particular, there's a copycat copycat mentality when it comes to businesses. Yeah. So they yeah. won't do something until they know, without a doubt, that there is no risk. Right. And and when they when someone proves that, for example, um, advertising on my YouTube skits will get you five thousand yeah. eyes guaranteed, they'll do it. You'll find the biggest yeah. company attaching themselves to something like that. So because of that copycat mentality and because no one has broken new ground in, in the area of esports, they're yeah. not going to touch it. They're going to be like, no, that's an untested variable. We don't want to. That's true. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a value exchange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they always do. We'll give you free ice cream. <laughs> and what, what, what got you to the point of you wanting to make your own game? Um, I think, uh, first of all... Um, I'm I'm interested in popular culture. Number one, number two, I'm an animator, and yeah. I've always been in in multimedia stuff. Like you, you probably don't know this, but I actually started out making websites. So I yeah, I know. Oh, cool. So yeah. I I was very big on coding. I still am. I'm very interested yeah. in stuff like Python and C sharp and and stuff like that. So uh, growing up, we played a lot of video games. My my brothers and I played a lot of Sega Genesis, a lot of Super Nintendo. So I grew up uh, interested in gaming, uh -huh. popular culture, and animation. So um, when I came across um, games like League of Legends, for example, and I saw what they were doing, um, it reminded me a lot of what we're doing with Comexposed because they set uh -huh. out to do something that was completely free back in 2010. And the game is 10 years old now, and it's still free. And Riot yeah. Games, the company that makes it, is one of the biggest companies in the world. And wow. they make a free video game, just one. Yeah, so, <laughs> just one. So you know what made me what made me want to actually pursue this path of developing a game 
was being surrounded by the comics post community and the different uh, very talented people that are in it. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm surrounded by uh, 3D animators, illustrators, digital painters, coders, uh, voiceover actors, comedians. Um, and when you look at that, you it, it's not long before you realize you actually have a community that's able to assist in making something like Kurwa come to life. So um, that that was one of the biggest motivations. And I think when uh, we set out to just put out the concept art and when we released it, the, the reaction we got from the media was really positive. Um, and the anticipation was really high. And I realized at that point, this is something definitely worth pursuing uh, because people were reacting so positively to just images, just illustrations, like, this is what this uh, character... Yeah. And, and the reaction was so, so high. I, I stopped and I remember asking my friends, like, what if they actually saw some in-game footage? <laughs> like, oh, what if they yeah, actually... Exactly. They'd lose their minds, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I personally, I, at that point, I was like, the, it's, it's an open and shut case. There's nothing to it. I need to, I need to give this a shot. I need to give this a shot. Uh, the worst that could happen is... Uh, I might lose a lot of time, but I'll learn so much. I'll probably do something of value with it anyway. Nice. Yeah. So that was definitely the motivation. And also, we don't have anything like that in, in, yeah. in Africa. We don't have a, a game that is set up in such a way that someone in Zimbabwe can play with someone in Zambia and have a great yeah. time and make new friends and right. hear some bimba or exactly. some Shona, you know, some Nyanja. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the cool things that I enjoy, like when I'm playing um, League of Legends, for example, is if you have a great game and you're playing very well, someone will, will type in while you're playing, like someone on your team, of course, will ask, where are yeah. you from? And then you say Zimbabwe, and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, right. so yeah, that's always, I, always a shocker. Yeah, it's always a shocker. And I thought, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if, um, you know, you're playing a match and you're playing Kuru and someone types in where you're from and they're yeah. saying that in Shona or they're saying it in Nyanja. You're like, hey, I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe. And they're like, okay, I'll, I'll visit you one day. <laughs> you know, and something yeah, a bit yeah. more. That would be so awesome if, you know, Malawian kids, Zimbabwean kids, uh, South African kids could, you know, uh, play a game, hear their own languages, see characters that dress and look like them and, yeah. you know, just rally behind something like that that they can contribute to because right. I think that's the strength of, of uh, a lot of the IPs that's coming out today. The fact that uh, social media has made it easy for the content creators and their audiences to communicate and agree exactly. when something isn't working. Direct, yeah. Yeah, or if something is working. Uh, yeah. Take, for example, what happened with the Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh, yeah, that was a classic. You see? <laughs> no one is going to forget British. that anytime soon. I mean, they put yeah. out the trailer, the whole community, the audience yeah. saw what Sonic looked like, and they're like, nah. In respect to the company, they actually took it back into production, and they, and they retweaked it, reworked it out, and the end result was way better. Much better. And... Yeah. And that's the age we live in. That would never have happened in 1993. No, we would have seen the final. The final, seen the final thing, they hated it. And yeah, yeah, life yeah goes then on. that's it. <laughs> I like how you talk so much about community. The ideas come from the community. The execution is happening during the, with the community. And then the end product is for the community. Exactly. I mean, is that something that you've always been interested in? And how did you, if not, then how do we... How did you get to the point where you're creating these things within the community? Like Comexpos, that started with community and the gaming stuff. That's all community stuff. Like, how did you get to that place where, because a lot of, a lot of developers, uh, animators, creators, digital yeah. artists, we are introverts, basically. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get to the place where you're taking the headship of things and then you're making them for the community? Wow. That's, I think, um, <laughs> I think that the first thing is admitting to yourself that you're a small town kid. <laughs> and, <laughs> small you know, fish in a big pond. Yeah, I mean, you got to be humble. And uh, I mean, okay, so number one, Zimbabwe is small. Harare is small. We're definitely not New York. Um, and then I represent um, an industry that is very niche, you know. Uh, animators are very few in this country. So when you... Like the way Tino and I met, even um, we we met at uh, an animation festival back in the day called Zimfire. So uh, it was really exciting to be at that festival because that's the first time I got a chance to be around like-minded people 
who mm-hmm. did exactly what I did or aspired to do what I do or just interested in it, right? Uh, instantly, I realized that the community was really small, and but it gave you the opportunity to actually walk up to different people and say, hi, I've heard of you or I've seen your stuff on Facebook. I'm so-and-so. I want to do this or I already do this. And instantly, yeah. you'd make a friend, right? Yeah. And from that point, and because of that kind of... Um, because of that kind of uh, access, I realized that the actual events didn't need to take a formal kind of stance in terms of uh, how they curated their their content or how they set up their program or how they invited speakers. Because the community is so small, you, you're going to yeah. run out of people to speak or whatever very quickly. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, from the lessons we learned from those early uh, festivals, uh, when we created Com Exposed, when we set out to, to start Com Exposed, we were like, you know what, our students need us. Because at the time, uh, Tino and I were, were actually lecturers. So like, our students need us beyond yeah. school, beyond their, their curriculums, right? So, let's start off a small group with our students and give them as much support as possible. And the community right. grew from there because it was... It, it wasn't formal. It was very, um, it was very open. Uh, and yeah. that we meant if you just started drawing yesterday, your your opinion matters. If you just started animating or open Blender for the first time, it's okay. We want to know what your experience is like. Share it with us. Share it with everyone. And because of that, everyone uh, respected our open door policy and respected how we organize it. So I, I think... Uh, when I discuss this with my with my colleagues, we often say we take credit for making it an organized kind of system. But okay. then every, everyone else is bringing in the value. We're just giving them that freedom to do that. So we, we, we kind of refrain from creating this super elite advanced animator who can only talk to super elite advanced <laughs> animator. Yeah. You know, we said yeah. anyone can talk, anyone can contribute and so on. And because of that, we got a lot of constructive feedback from different levels. So, uh, for example, a super advanced uh, animator would come through and say, we need a session for super advanced animators. And we'll be like, you know what? You're right. We'll do that. And then a novice will come through and say, I want to be able to participate in that. I know I won't have a lot to say, but can I just sit in? And we'll be like, that's fine. And can you also make something for us? And can you make something that's about business only? Can you make something that's about uh, you know, social media only. And because of that, uh, Comexpose has grown into this platform where you can learn multiple things. I mean, just last year, we had a panel uh, with uh, fashion designers because they felt welcome and they felt like their voice could be heard and they could contribute to, you know, animation, comic books, costume design and that kind of thing. So no. based on those successes, I realized that you can't disregard people. <laughs> Ultimately, they're going to use your stuff. Yeah. Ultimately, they're going to use your service. Yeah. So you might yeah. as well hear from them. And if you hear from yeah. them during the development process or yeah. while you're creating something, you're more likely to make something that they want or something yeah. that relates to them or something that they can't ignore because when they see when they see the final product, they're going to see a part of themselves. They're going to feel like they contributed to it. Like, I am a part yeah. of this and I'm going to do yeah. this. So because of that kind of mentality... Uh, when creating services like the one that we've got in the works, it makes sense to, you know, think about the community first. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's absolutely been helpful. I'll give you a small, <laughs> there's like an inside incident that happened. We're developing a certain uh-huh. character and uh, his name, his name, <laughs> actually this character is all out in the public domain already. I think I posted him a few years ago. His name is uh, Tatenda, but it's shortened to Tate. T-A-T-E, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a d- debate broke out amongst some of the, the, the people in the team. And they're like, no, that's lame. Why why should it be Tate? It should be Tate. <laughs> you know? And as much as some people yeah. were really committed to Tate because we started off with it, you know, it grew on them. The logic of it just being authentically Zimbabwean and being pronounced yeah. that way. We took yeah. that on board and lo and behold, we're running with that. And a lot, a lot of the people who were there during those discussions. They're like, you know what? I'm more likely to play this character now because he seems more authentic. You know, he's not he's not representing some westernized version of Africa. He's representing Zimbabwe. You know, that's good. so that's, good. that's the kind of that's the kind of feedback and uh, the kind of value you can get for free 
from yeah. <laughs> from yeah, a community. Yeah, yeah. And when they see it materialize, they are more likely to engage with it because they they take ownership of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So with this whole uh, lockdown and the coronavirus just hitting us badly, how has that impacted your community or communities? Wow. <laughs> uh, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. Considering that you guys are mainly online. Well, the actual community, to be honest, um, we started off. We really, really leaned into digital and social media when we started. So in terms of communication, everything's been great. I have to say. Right. It's been more of a support group even since the lockdown started um, yeah. because, um, I mean, there are over 100, over 100, maybe even more people on the WhatsApp groups um, and, uh, you know, communication via Facebook and so on is pretty simple. I think the biggest hit is obviously in that they might not be a comic post for the first time in five years. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. They might not be a convention for the first time since we started. Um, yeah. That's a big hit, and all the other events like the talks and other things we wanted to do are uh, definitely going to take a hit. And I know a lot of the community members that loved to attend those will be let down because um, uh, they, they will miss out on that opportunity. Um, we started off really strong, like earlier on this year, with uh, the event Digi Poems, where we uh, were collaborating with uh, some poets from the United Kingdom and animators from in and around Sadek. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that was great, and it, it, we felt like we were on the right path in terms of you know introducing events that would have a totally new spin where people could actually come and see stuff that we have uh, developed, which which doesn't happen a lot in our industry. Uh, but so sadly, there won't be enough of that. But um, yeah. yeah, the Comics Post show is uh, still going on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing, doing our thing uh, via yeah. Skype, and we're still doing our research and sharing our articles and things like that. Um, and I think, uh, much like everyone else, it's really helped us to think outside the box um, and and think of other ways we can uh, come up with content or come up with activities that a, a group of people can engage with, uh, despite yeah. not meeting up in person. So I think the backbone, having a backbone that was digital and social media to begin with really saved us. Um, okay. and, and it really helped us to get a, an idea of how to move forward despite uh, the lockdown and, and everything that's happening with um, uh, social distancing and whatnot. That's pretty cool. But then for you, for you in terms of your work and everything else, how's that impacted you? Oh, uh, now that's, yeah, now that's horrible. I, I think we talk, we talk about this briefly on the upcoming Comics Post show, but um, yeah. it's important to repeat it right now. There are a lot of spaces that we're operating in because our service is very niche, like animation, digital illustration, that kind of thing. It's very niche. Uh, so... I personally had been working remotely since 2011, 2012. I was working with uh, a lot of indie filmmakers from Australia, Canada, United States, and so on, uh, doing pre-production and previous work online since way back then, right? And um, at that time, there wasn't that much of a freelance online boom. So I was very comfortable doing stuff there. I pretty much understood the ins and outs of operating that way. But uh, as time progressed and these platforms grew, of course, the, the market got saturated. I'm sure we all know the Indian stereotypes, uh, yeah. undercutting and all of those things yeah. and, and different, uh, you know, regions where, uh, you know, outsource services really thrive, you know, uh, China, India, etc. So slowly that area was getting very saturated. Uh, and, you know, the laws of demand and supply simply meant the price was just going lower and lower because anyone could come up and say, I'll, I'll animate your five minute thing for $30, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a ridiculous claim. So uh, that also impacted the level of trust that uh, end users had for freelancers or people working online, because once you're working with someone remotely, there's always a lot of hesitance and a lot of risk because you just don't know this person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, fast forward to 2020 with uh, the, the impact of COVID-19 and so on. The, the market has become even more saturated because of um, the multimedia uh, specialists and artists, animators uh, and so on who've been laid off in those same countries. The ones that typically would want these services yeah. have laid off a lot of those guys. So now they've got um, artists that are in, in the West who have entered the freelance 
uh, game and they're very proficient. These are guys coming out of Hollywood. These are guys coming from big studios, studios like Nickelodeon and they're wow. really good. So that, that, may, that means the, the pie just shrunk for a lot of people who work, working remotely already. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the The supply is just shot through the roof and the demand is really low because who's advertising right now? Yeah. So the the result is um, the amount of work is a lot less. The amount of trust is a lot less. The amount of expenditure is, you know, really low uh, by these firms because um, a lot of, uh, I'll take Coca-Cola, for example, right now is finding more value in uh, helping to fight the cause uh, exactly. rather yeah. than actually advertising. And advertising right now is being it's being frowned upon because it seems like, it's a form of profiteering of the situation rather than helping to ease uh, the, the stress of COVID-19. So, yeah, we, we, we're definitely feeling the impact. We, we started feeling it almost instantly because a number of projects that were lined up uh, for the month of um, April were immediately terminated or suspended indefinitely because, uh, I'll give you an example, if you're supposed to do an animated video for an in-store video, and then that store is going to shut, is going to close down because of social. Oh, There's no point. Yeah. So say goodbye to that. <laughs> so say goodbye to that. You know, and yeah. if, if someone was going to um, ask you to do some motion graphic sequence or an animated character promoting some uh, special at a restaurant or a line of fast food chains, they can't do that anymore. Again, because yeah. yeah so th- those are those are some of the the things that have happened and. Um, it's, it's got a downside, and then again, it's got an upside. Um, that's a whole different discussion, an amazing one, because I'll just I'll let you know what I mean by that. Um, right. Right now, you've got a lot of the same professionals that I mentioned earlier are really good at what they do, right? And they were, by, by our standards here in Africa, they were way better paid. Um, I'll give you the example of uh, there are these gentlemen who go by the, the moniker of BAM Animation, right? These guys worked on yep. shows like uh, Rick and Morty, for example. And now they oh. run this thing called BAM Animation, and it's more or less a small, uh, it's a small outfit that uh, teaches people how to do animation, how to build computers, how to set up streaming stations at home. They do all of that, and they're very good at it, and they create Hollywood standard animation. And all the content that they're putting on their YouTube and Instagram and so on is free. Now, how do you compete with guys who are that good? And here you are, you don't have the same level of experience or education that they have. And you're trying to sell your indie comic book or you're trying to sell your indie animation. And they're guys who are doing stuff that trumps yours and they're doing it for free. It's changed the entire landscape. You see what I mean? So those are some of the those are some of the dynamics that have been put in place. And it's forcing guys that were once upon a time relying on um, support from Patreon, for example, and uh, guys who were selling stuff even for as little as a dollar, starting to reconsider because now they have to compete with some of the leading artists coming out of Hollywood, Canada, Australia, and so on. And it's again, it's do or die. So you have um, independent artists who are doing stuff uh, for conventions, you know, they'd make their, they'd spend their year or spend four months at a time creating material to sell or showcase at conventions. They can't do that anymore, and now they have to probably just give it away online. And uh, yeah, that means your what where you used to earn a certain amount now you're earning twenty percent or less of that, and that's the situation that um, that that's being faced across the world right now. And you can just imagine what what that's yeah. doing to African small studios, exactly. African freelancers and, you know, content creators. It's insane. Okay. So what, what did you say would be the, um, the way forward for you? Like, well, well, how are you looking at things moving on out of the lockdown? Moving on out of the lockdown. Uh, oh, man. I, I think, as usual, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, man. <laughs> True. I think what this... I don't mean to downplay the impact of COVID-19 or just say, oh, we, we need to figure it out. I don't mean it in that way, but... My, yeah. When I say necessity is the mother of invention, I, I'm implying that we were working the way we were working for such a long time because we found a comfort zone. Uh-huh. We found a system, we found something that, again, was low risk, something that just worked, and we didn't. We were never challenged to outgrow it. Once upon a time, someone was challenged and they decided to take their work online, right? That was an innovation. 
in itself. And then when, yeah. when we all saw it works, we all migrated. And, and of course, there are different examples of this. So coming back to your question, I think because of this need, we're going to have to come up with something new. I don't know what it is right now. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> but yeah. I think, I think it's, it's an opportunity to, to actually uh, regroup and, and just look at where there are possible opportunities we're ignoring all along and just try and innovate yeah, around that's that. Good. That's good. Yeah. That's so, good. so generally, so, I think, yeah, some smart thinking needs to be done. Smart thinking, eh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, like we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago and then for you working from home and being in a lockdown is not really something new. Like, because you uh, do most of most of your work uh, from guys that are outside of Zimbabwe. What would you say for uh, some of the guys who are just getting into animation right now? Yeah. Yeah, the guys that are just getting into animation right now, how best can they leverage on that? And uh, what are some of the platforms that they can look at to see how they can get into the field where they are working for guys who are international, but then also for the guys that are local here, ways in we're working online, even though you're like literally a kilometer away? That's a good question. You know, um, I was explaining this to a colleague of mine and I said, there's actually no secret source. Um, yeah. There was a time when, like, in my, when I was in my 20s, when I would make a modest five hundred dollars a month online, right? Nice. That that was that was very that was in the beginning, and things were um, they were not tough per se in comparison to what they're like right now. But here's what I would advise: there's no cheating it. There's no cheating the process. Get yourself a website for yourself. Optimize that website with keywords that relate to you as an individual and keywords that relate to the service that you want to give. This applies to everyone, not just animators. And uh, I mean, even if you even if you're an accountant, work towards populating that um, that website with information that gives you credibility. Position yourself as a credible person and then aim to to advance yourself into an authority in that area. Okay. That's good. So, so for example, what, uh, uh, back in the day, uh, what I did was I, I shared a lot of the illustration that I was doing for myself. Right. And when there was a body of work on my website that demonstrated that I was actually a real illustrator, real animator, real 3d modeler, um, that gave me credibility. And then when that was noticed and I got opportunities to to teach and to become a lecturer, that's when I became an authority because now kids were graduating after leaving my, you know, right? So when you become an authority and you become credible and you've got enough material on this site, it's very easy for you to appear on the first page of Google if people are looking for those services in your area. A number of my clients, uh, when I got a little bit bigger, you know, I, I always held a little survey and I would ask, how did you hear about me? Like, hey, I, I just Googled animators in Zimbabwe and you were there, you know. And you popped up. And I took it for granted until I realized that it was working. But of course, this yeah. is me explaining it over five minutes. But that whole process of getting to that point <laughs> took a, a lot longer and it was a lot of dedicated hard work. Right. So the misconception right now that I'm discouraging young, uh, young artists or young animators who are trying to get work online... I'm going to discourage them from going onto platforms that uh, have portrayed themselves as like freelance services that will get you a lot of clients and get you a lot of work. It's it that is yes, it works, but it will get you living hand, hand to mouth. It won't give you. It won't, it's not sustainable. In other words, I was on. Um, I was looking at the app store the other day, and I saw um, a, a professional graphic designer commenting on the review section of one of these apps that aims to do that. And he was talking about how it made him. Uh, it, it made it overworked him in that it worked with an algorithm that would funnel a lot of people his way. And he never had the, it didn't have an option for him to decline certain jobs. So he was, he was automatically obligated to do the work that was funneled his way. And then in no time, because he was actually very good at what he was doing, he was overwhelmed and he started delivering late. And some of those uh, clients were canceling on him. Then the algorithm turned on him and gave him no work for a long time. And then it reset and started giving him work again. And then he's like, no, this is an unsustainable cycle. And it's not worth it for my health and it's not worth it for my own happiness. 
And that's a trap that I think exists across all freelance platforms if you rely on them solely. True. But then uh, the advantage of actually setting up your own website and doing it the way that I mentioned earlier is you control the mode of engagement. And by that I mean you have an opportunity to get into a dialogue via email with everyone who approaches you and you can you can interview them for yourself and choose the value. Yeah. That's you right. can choose the terms, you can choose the turnaround time, you can you can really lay down um, your own terms and conditions and even propose a contract if you're that savvy. Right? Yeah. Um and the best part about it is depending on how you're set up financially, you don't have to pay anyone a commission. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you see, Getting all the money. You get all the money. My, my website, Sigma Digital Studio, from before Sigma Digital merged with K-Media, that, yeah. that website has been running since 2009. And there's a reason why it's been up that long. It's been oh, up wow. that long because I know it's my bread and butter. It's, there's so much work that I've invested in it in terms of search engine optimization and just making sure yeah. it's, it's, it's the one place that proves uh, that I am who I say I am. Um, I usually encourage guys and say to them, aim to get the conversation with your client from, um, can you do this? To a point where it's, how much will this cost? Ah, nice. You see? That's good. You see? That's and, good. And, and that's the kind of conversation that most guys don't equip themselves to have. And in the end, they always, you know, they have people that are doubtfully approaching them and then they're like, ah, you know what, I, I found someone else. And then they just go with a big company or they dish the project altogether. So yeah. that's that's my advice to um, to animators and, and all sorts of professionals right now that want to look to the, to the net for, nice. you know, yeah. So how would you define yourself right now? Man, I'm a multimedia designer who turned into a suit. <laughs> I don't see the suits though. Where are the suits? Look at my WhatsApp profile right now. Look at my WhatsApp profile right now. Pick up. Oh, right you lied, dude. I saw that. I'm like, who's this fella that I'm chatting to right now, eh? I, I turned into a suit. Yeah, I think uh, what I mean by that right now is um, I, I, I benefited a lot from learning from the Comics Post community and also learning from the different projects that I've done over the past 12 years or so, right? Yeah. And there comes a point because of uh, age where you just, you have to help to to uh, create that organization that you always dreamt would be there, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm a self-taught guy in terms of my uh, current profession, in terms of multimedia. I'm, I'm very much self-taught. Yeah. Because I was educated in, in uh, political science. Uh, that's who, what my degree is in, right? But um, yeah. because of that, it was tough actually getting into uh, design or creative agencies and so on because of the, <laughs> the nature of what I studied versus what I was proficient at. So yeah. I've, uh, because of that, I, free, I freelanced or, or had a lot of work outsourced to me uh, from these so-called big agencies or companies or production houses. And I never saw one that, that I felt like it was ideal for me or one that embodied the philosophies that we see uh, in the likes of Disney or Pixar or Nickelodeon, where yeah. the creative process is respected, the creative culture is respected, and, of course, the craft is held right. to a high standard, right? Yeah. So I got to a point where I said, okay, I can, I can be... I can be uh, productive by myself and have this sustainable lifestyle where I do my stuff all on my own, or I can actually set up the organization that I always wanted to work for and help other young people not go through what I went through. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in essence, I consider myself a multimedia designer who turned into a suit because now I need to be very uh, corporate and business savvy if that dream is going to remain alive. You know, so so that's why more, more nice. and more these days I'm, I'm very much into... Uh, understanding the legal side, understanding regulations, yeah. understanding, um, you know, just the, the corporate side of things and marketing right. and management, project management, that kind of thing. Because I think I, I invested decades, like, you know, I've been drawing and stuff for my whole life. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've yeah. invested a lot into that actual yeah. field. And yeah. I think uh, now it's time to empower all the young, younger people that I can uh, so that they can they can end up in a situation that they can be proud of in the future, and also so we can have some Zimbabwean agencies or Zimbabwean production houses that are you know yeah. that are reputable, you know. I know yeah. South Africa has done it, Nigeria has done it, and yeah. yeah.
we're, we're on our way. No, definitely. I definitely respect the growth and uh, the acceptance of responsibilities. Because most of the times, as creators, as the guys who are actually doing the actual physical work, we get stuck in that art. As in, because we love it so much. It's what we know. It's what we're good at. Right. It's what we love doing. And then we're stuck in it and we don't grow. We would rather choose someone else who's already in business and say, hey, can you partner with me and do this for me? Because I just want to focus on what I'm doing. So I definitely yeah. respect that and take taking to that level because I think that's how the industry grows yeah. as we get the guys who are really passionate about it, who are solely into that field is they grow and they get into the actual business or get into the suit. As you say, oh, yeah. um, I think that's how we actually grow and develop and be better. Yeah. So yeah, no respect for that, man. Yeah. Have it up. But I, I enjoyed this one. It's very eye opening. I got oh, some, thanks, man. some things that I can implement in my field as well. So, so, so that's that. very good. I always look forward to these talks where I always learn something new. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for it's having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I wish you all the best with uh, the Creative Huddle podcast. This is a great initiative, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying to build a community. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, trying yeah. to be like Eugene. The folks yeah. in the community. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Creative Huddle podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please read and review us on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe.